I'm Karen Morgan, and this is the Purple Bike Podcast. Hey, y'all, and welcome to a bonus episode of the Purple Bike Podcast. I can't get too far out of the 1970s without talking about Sid and Marty Croft, this brother team of amazing television producers and creators. Sid and Marty Croft were just incredible creative minds who really did shape what television looked like in the 1970s. So I thought it would be great to include a little bit of the history and background of Sid and Marty Croft here on the Purple Bike Podcast. Sid Croft is the older of the Croft brothers. He started out as a puppeteer at age seven and eventually joined the Ringling Brothers and Barnum & Bailey Circus as the world's youngest puppeteer. After that, he was the opening act for people like Judy Garland and Liberace, and he loved performing so much that he really wanted to be the star of his own show. So later on, he asked his younger brother, Marty, who's eight years younger, to join him. They started a musical puppet show called Les Poupies de Paris, which actually means the dolls of Paris, not poopy of Paris, which was kind of based on the cabarets in Paris. They traveled with this musical puppet show, which was for adults, by the way. It was a cabaret all over the United States. They even had it at the World's Fair. Reverend Billy Graham saw it and uh, denounced it immediately because the women did not have on shirts, but the women were actually puppets, so the puppets didn't have on shirts. I guess they showed puppet breasts, which is a problem. Sid and Marty Croft also built puppet shows for the Six Flags parks. Uh, We had one in Atlanta. We spent a lot of time there. And they also designed large costumes like people would wear walking around the Six Flags parks like big animals and things. So Hanna-Barbera, I don't know if you recognize them from all the cartoons we had growing up, asked Sid and Marty Croft to help make them some costumes for their Banana Splits show. We watched the banana splits every day growing up. There were four of them. There was a dog named Flegel, a lion named Drooper, a gorilla named Bingo, and Snork was the elephant. And they were kind of like a band, almost like the monkeys. So they did like songs and dances. And then they had cartoon segments like the Arabian Nights. And they had a live action segment called Danger Island. I remember this one because Jan Michael Vincent was on there. And these people were shipwrecked and there was some bad pirates and some bad dudes. And there was a guy named Chongo. The banana splits were such a hit that NBC came to the Croft Brothers and asked them if they wanted to create their own children's series, which they did. They started with H.R. Puffin Stuff, which was just the beginning of their career into creating all these amazing Saturday morning children's television shows. In addition to the children's shows, the Crofts also went on to produce other shows for adult audiences like the Bay City Rollers and Donnie and Marie, Richard Pryor even. But since I was that kid that was lying on the shag carpet in front of my TV on Saturday mornings all through the 70s. I'm just going to talk about the children's shows today. Let's start with HR Puffin Stuff. HR Puffin Stuff was created in 1969. The original dragon, HR Puffin Stuff, had actually been created by the Cross for the World's Fair in San Antonio in 1968. His original name, by the way, was Luther. But they revamped Luther and they created a Saturday morning TV show starring this dragon. His name was now HR Puffin Stuff. 
The premise behind the show was that there's a boy named Jimmy, and he was played by Jack Wilde, this kid from London. And Jimmy had a talking flute named Freddy. Freddy and Jimmy go on a boat, but the boat is actually owned by the Wicked Witch, whose name is Witchy Poo. And Witchy Poo is just trying to steal the talking flute, and she used the boat to lure Jimmy and Freddy to her castle on Living Island, where she wants to steal Freddy. Jimmy gets rescued by H.R. Puff and stuff, who is actually the mayor of Living Island, where everything, like the houses and boats and clocks, are all alive. So that's kind of the premise behind H.R. Puff and stuff. Witchy Poo was played by Billy Hayes, who was a character actress who actually beat up Penny Marshall for the part. Over the years, people said that H.R. Puffin stuff was just one big drug reference. I'm going to read a quote from Marty Croft. Marty Croft says, We've heard that for 35 years. We did not intentionally do anything related to drugs in the story. People thought that we were on drugs. You can't do good television while on drugs. People never believe you when you say that, but you can't. The shows were very bright and spacey looking. They may have lent themselves to that culture at the time, but we didn't ascribe that meaning to them. And I can't speak to what adults were doing while they were watching the shows. We just set out to make a quality children's program. And I think that's right. I think Sid and Marty Croft actually did that job. And it it was colorful. It was the 70s. We were all groovy. It was funky. So yeah, it, it could have seemed that way. But as a child, I certainly enjoyed it. Now, despite his popularity, H.R. Puff and Stuff only had 17 episodes. I learned that it was very expensive to produce. Around $100,000 per episode it cost to produce these things. So I guess talking flutes are very expensive. The next show after H.R. Puff and stuff was The Bugaloos. The Bugaloos, The Bugaloos, we're in the air and everywhere, Now, The Bugaloos was a band made up of insect people. There was a grasshopper and a bumblebee and a ladybug, and they were all boys, by the way. And then there was one girl who was a butterfly, and then they had a friend named Sparky who was a little firefly who was actually played by Billy Barty. Like H.R. Puff and stuff, there was a villain on The Bugaloos. The villain's name was Benita Bazaar, and she was played by Martha Ray, an incredible performer, really great character actress. Now, Anita Bazaar was this sort of old, not a witch, but she was kind of old and scary. So most of the episodes were Benita Bazaar just trying to attack the Bugaloos because they were better singers than she was. She also had a chauffeur whose name was Funky Rat, who had a German accent for some reason. The Bugaloos themselves were played by a bunch of English actors and musicians. After the Bugaloos in 1971 came Lidsville. Now, Lidsville starred Butch Patrick. Butch Patrick was Eddie Munster in The Munsters. He played a guy who goes to Six Flags to see a magic show, and he breaks into the the magician's dressing room, and then he falls into this giant magic hat, and he ends up in Lidsville, which is a land of living hats. Now, the magician is actually played by Charles Nelson Riley. He's the villain when you get to Lidsville. His name is Horatio Hoodoo, and he flies around on this thing called a hatamaran. And How's that for a topper? <laughs> he shoots at all the people in Lidsville. There's good hats, like a nurse hat and a cowboy hat, and then there's a set of bad hats, and there was a nice genie called Weenie, who was played by Billy Hayes, who had formerly played Witchy Poo in H.R. Puff and stuff. Anyway, Anyway, Charles Nelson Riley was phenomenal as Horatio Hoodoo. 
rotten sea monster. Sick man, you're through. Scram, get out of here. In 1973, we have Sigmund and the Sea Monster. Sigmund is a sea monster who gets thrown out of his house by his own family, who's named the Ooze family, because he's not scary enough and does not want to scare people. He runs away, and two boys find him on a beach, and they bring him to their clubhouse to hide them. Now, one of the boys was played by Johnny Whitaker, who, you may recall, played Jody on A Family Affair. And most of Sigmund and the Sea Monster just the boys trying to hide Sigmund from his own family so they won't get him or hide him from their housekeeper who somehow is the only adult in their home because their parents go away and you never see the parents like the whole time. So Sigmund and the Sea Monsters was very cute. After Sigmund and the Sea Monsters came Land of the Lost, which I actually talked about in more detail on the previous podcast about 1975, Land of the Lost borrowed a lot of its writers from Star Trek, the animated series, when it got canceled. And that kind of explains to me all the crazy alien storylines. The next show was Far Out Space Nuts in 1975. Far Out Space Nuts starred Bob Denver, who, as you know, was Gilligan on Gilligan's Island. And the premise is that he was a NASA worker and he and his buddy were just loading the food onto a rocket. And then he tells the other guy to hit the lunch button and that guy actually hits the launch button. And so the rocket blasts off and they go out into outer space and then they just kind of they fly around in this rocket forever. I don't know. I don't remember much about it except that Gilligan was on it and to me it was really weird to see Gilligan with gray hair. After that came Lost Saucer in 1975. Now this had Ruth Buzzy from Laugh-In, love her, and Jim Neighbors who was Gomer Pyle. And they were two androids who fly around in this flying saucer that can travel in time and they land on Earth and there's two kids that come in and look around their spaceship and then when they take off, the flying saucer takes off with the kids in it. They go around traveling through time and space. They also have a pet Dorse, which I recall vividly. It was like half a dog, half a horse, and it was just a person in a hairy costume, and it annoyed me. I don't know why the Dorse was a super annoying character to me, but I loved Ruth Buzzy, and I loved Jim Neighbors, but it was a little odd to see them playing androids. Now, the next two shows were actually segments on the Croft Super Show on Saturday morning. So they were just part of a a medley of different shows kind of put together. The first one is Dr. Shrinker. Dr. Shrinker was these three people that crash on an island and Dr. Shrinker and his assistant Hugo live there. Hugo played by Billy Barty. Now, Dr. Shrinker was, of course, a mad scientist and he had a shrinking ray. He shrunk the three people down to six inches tall. And the whole show is that they escape and every episode is Dr. Shrinker trying to catch him. That was kind of it. I don't remember a whole lot about the show, but the theme song is permanently etched into my brain. Also a part of the Croft Super Show was Electra Woman and Dyna Girl. 
Now, this had Deidre Hall, who is Dr. Marlena Evans from Days of Our Lives, who I think was doing both parts at the same time, which I think is hilarious. Deidre Hall was Electra Woman, and she had a sidekick named Dinah Girl, who had very annoying pigtails. And these ladies were magazine reporters, and they were secretly superheroes. It was like, it was basically Batman and Robin, but with women and in much shinier spandex and much brighter colors. Electra Woman and Dinah Girl had an Electra car, which could also turn into an Electra plane. And they had these watches, these Electra watches. They had a bunch of different settings on their watches that could thwart evildoers. And then they would always say stuff like, ooh, that was Electra close, Electra wow. And I guess there was a movie remake a few years ago. I totally missed this. I don't know when that even came out, but I'll I'll check it out. So the Croft brothers were so successful in the 70s that everybody wanted to be the Crofts. Everybody. Even McDonald's. Do y'all remember McDonaldland in the early 70s? I do. They had characters in McDonaldland. Of course they had Ronald McDonald, but then they had Mayor McCheese and the Grimace and the Hamburglar, and Captain Crook. Now, the Crofts sued McDonald's because they said that McDonaldland and their characters were plagiarizing their show. Specifically, they said that Mayor McCheese was a direct infringement of H.R. Puffin stuff. Like, hey, they're both mayors. Come on. So at the trial, the jury found in favor of the Crofts. They awarded the Crofts $50,000 because they said that the McDonald's infringed on their copyright. McDonald's appealed, of course. The appeals court still found in favor of the Croft brothers, and they reassessed the damages to more than $1 million. So, hey, McDonald's probably should not have appealed that verdict. McDonald's was ordered to stop producing the characters and to also stop airing the commercials that had the characters on on them. And as kids, I kind of remember that Mayor McCheese kind of disappeared. And we were like, whatever happened to Mayor McCheese? Well, Mayor McCheese got sued right out of McDonaldland. I can't talk about Sid and Marty Croft without talking about the world of Sid and Marty Croft that was in Atlanta in 1976 because I went to the world of Sid and Marty Croft three, maybe four times. It was only open for six months and then it closed. So I think I probably hold the world's record for the most visits to the world of Sid and Marty Croft. So what it was, was an indoor amusement park. And you got there, it was at the Omni in downtown Atlanta. You rode up this very giant escalator, which was the world's longest freestanding escalator. They had four levels on the park. They had like a circus performer level and then you go down the levels and then there's a weird carousel that had weird mythological creatures. There was a giant pinball machine. It was a ride and you were supposed to be sitting in the ball and then you're supposed to ricochet like you're inside the pinball machine which actually was kind of disappointing. I read about it and then I wrote it and I said, nah, I didn't feel like I was in a pinball machine. There was a show theater and live performers throughout the park. And on the bottom floor, when you came out, there was an ice skating rink, which we also did. Now, it was a really, really cool park, but mostly it was kind of weird. I went there expecting to see H.R. Puff and stuff and Sigmund and the Sea Monster. None of those things were there. It was all sort of weird characters and other stuff that Sid and Marty Croft came up with in their heads. Now, after After it closed, Ted Turner bought the space that the world of Sid and Marty Croft had been in, and he moved CNN there. 
He eventually bought the whole place, and now it's the CNN Center. And the escalator's still there. It's part of the CNN tour. I think the world of Sid and Marty Croft closed kind of like many of their TV shows did because it just cost too much money to run. They had incredibly original and creative and strange ideas, but sometimes creative and strange just doesn't pay the bills, sadly. know that Sid and Marty Croft probably will never hear this podcast, but if they do, I want to say thank you to Sid and Marty Croft because I don't think there's ever been anybody with all these crazy ideas and projects that added to my childhood because I seem to have spent most of my childhood watching TV laying on a shag carpet. So thanks Sid and Marty Croft for bringing so much fun to my life in the 70s and so much happiness to everybody's lives. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in to the Purple Bike Podcast. I'll see you next week with another episode. Have a great day, everybody. 